0: The CNBC app, global market news in one place. Customizable sections and personalized alerts. Stocks tracking, interactive charts and market insights all in your hands. Stay connected, stay informed. Download the CNBC app today.
1: Happy Friday, everyone, and welcome to Squawk Here are your headlines today. Netflix plunges in extended trade as subscriber growth slows amid heightened competition. Co-founder Reed Hastings admits the company is struggling to get a clear outline on future growth.
2: Two years ago, we were 10 million above plan, which was a shock, you know. uh, Last year, we were 10 million below, you know, or 9 million. Um, And so, you know, the pull forward sort of, you know, makes it hard to read.
1: The Nasdaq descends deep into correction territory amid a volatile session on Wall Street, as investors worry about rising rates. But Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen tells CNBC inflation should fall towards the 2% target this year. If we're successful in controlling the pandemic, um, I expect inflation to diminish over the course of the year. Cryptocurrencies follow Wall Street's lead, sinking to multi-month lows, with Bitcoin plunging below $40,000. U.S. Secretary of State Antony Blinken prepares to meet his Russian counterpart Sergei Lavrov in Geneva as tensions between Moscow and Washington ratchet higher. Russia's ambassador to the EU outlines to CNBC his expectations.
3: I would uh, hope that Secretary Blinken comes to Geneva not empty handed but with a reply which uh, was promised.
1: Netflix shares plunged more than 20% in extended trade as fourth quarter new subscriber numbers came in short of expectations. The streaming giant scored a big beat on the bottom line, but it was the all-important customer growth that was the focus, topping analyst estimates, but coming in shy of the company's own target and alongside a warning of more weakness in Q1. Let's get out to Arjun for more. Arjun, Jeff and I were talking yesterday before the release of earnings that there was a huge focus around subscribers, almost a fixated market around this number, and the expectations around the estimates just were a little bit disappointing, right?
4: Yeah, you're absolutely right, Karen. When it comes to Netflix, the market is always laser focused, really, on the subscriber net ads. And what you saw was Netflix beat on the top and bottom line and their global paid net ads. But what the problem was, really, for the market here is that slowing growth Uh, at this point. If you look at Q4 2020, the company added 8.5 million net ads. That was lower than the 8.28 added in Q4 2021. Um, And also the guidance disappointed the market at this point as well. The problem really for Netflix going into the quarter was that it prepared the market for growth last year. It said, look, we've got all these blockbusters coming out towards the back end of the year. Squid Games, uh, you had Don't Look Up, Red Notice. But that wasn't really enough at this point to bring the subscribers uh, to the platform in the numbers that the market had wanted at this point. Now, uh, co-CEO Reed Hastings addressed some of these issues. He talked about the quarter and and what the company uh, saw. Let's just listen in to what he had to say. There's a number of, you know,
2: potential explanations in COVID, but then we worry about hanging too much on that. Um, You know, there's more competition than there's ever been. But, you know, we've had Hulu and Amazon for 14 years, so it doesn't feel like any qualitative change there. And overall, confidence in streaming becomes all of entertainment. You know, linear dissipates over, you know, the next 10 to 20 years. Very high confidence in that thesis because everyone's coming into streaming. So like market size, very large, our execution, you know, is steady and and getting better. So for now, we're just like, you know, staying calm and, you know, trying to figure out again The COVID has introduced so much noise. um, It just wants us to give it some pause.
4: Now, there are a couple of things I want to address there, Karen. Firstly, uh, COVID and secondly, competition. When you think about the pandemic with people stuck at home, lockdowns around the world, that really dragged forward a lot of those subscribers onto the Netflix platform perhaps that wouldn't have come online for the next year or two and so that's why you saw that stellar growth uh, through uh, the pandemic for Netflix it was one of those stay-at-home stocks that did very well uh, and that was I think what uh, Reed Hastings was addressing there the second one is competition this was interesting because he said look Hulu and Amazon have been around for a long time at this point uh, and so you know competition is not new but I think one of the big things that has changed is the competition has stepped up it's become a lot more fierce. You're seeing quality content on these other platforms like Amazon, like Disney as well. And it's not just uh, sort of the, the quality of content, it's the number of players in the market as well that's really hurting Netflix uh, at this point. And the question is here going forward is can Netflix produce the content that keeps people stuck on its platform and brings in new subscribers? And also, uh, what kind of money will it have to spend to get there? And what what will that do to its margin? Those are some of the questions I think going forward that investors will be looking at, Karen.
1: It's an incredible uh, story we're looking for today on the stock, isn't it too, Arjun? Thank you for setting the scene around that. uh, The call is down 20 odd percent and this could be the worst day since uh, 2012 when the company lost about 25 odd percent of the stock. So let's get into the conversation with Tom Bianchi who joins us, Vice President of Acquia. Tom, I know that you were fairly upbeat around the stock and I wonder whether the direction on the stock price before the market opened today is just swaying your sentiment at all around Netflix?
0: Well, yeah, I think, you know, we see a big drop yesterday, clearly uh, clearly due to the, the poor forecast for subscribers in Q1. <clears throat> and I think for Netflix, the key going forward is going to be around uh, maintaining that, that content diversity that they started to invest in. Um, they talked about the strategy of releasing, you know, top blockbusters during Q4 to try and attract new subscribers for me, I think going forward, they've got to continue with this strategy, not necessarily to um, continue with the rates of growth we've seen in the past, but actually to protect their subscriber base. Um, the competition's uh, hotting up. And of course, it's not only other streaming providers that they are um, competing with. You heard them um, talk about trying to compete with people's leisure time. So uh, for me, I think the key for Netflix going forward is going to be focusing on that content strategy and, and, and you know, make a great digital experience to retain that subscriber base.
1: Tom, we've been focused for a while on the competition coming into the mix, all these streaming services that have been announced. But it got a little bit um, sort of pushed out in some ways because we saw the, the advent of the pandemic and people changing their habits. So we sort of lost track of the competition. But is this now the quarter, is this beginning of it where we start to see some of that competition start to bite for Netflix, particularly at a time, too, when it's raised its prices in its key market?
0: Yeah, I think so, in short. Um, here at Acquia, we we did research which showed during the pandemic that um, 5 million Brits uh, or more spend seven hours a day engaging with content online and streaming services. Now, there's there's clearly a return back to sort of pre-pandemic, uh, you know, viewing habits that's, that started to happen as the world's opened up. And I think You know, for Netflix uh, going forward, they're they're really going to have to pay attention to this competition as it hops up. People are uh, now, you know, voting with their feet and and those best digital experiences that these brands offer, uh, you know, things like personalization and recommendation um, on the next piece of content is really the key to keeping you hooked into their platform. So that's going to be a massive, a massive thing.
4: Tom, Arjun here, just going to jump into the conversation. Um, You know, look, uh, Netflix in the last quarter, they sort of played down the competition uh, somewhat. They talked about it only having a marginal effect uh, on the quarter. But is it more serious than that? Does Netflix have enough to differentiate from the likes of Disney, Amazon and others? And if so, what does that differentiation look like to you?
0: Yeah, great question. I think the key for the differentiation now is going to be in the minutiae. Right. Netflix has one thing in their back pocket over some of these others, and that is it has more information uh, based on the total number of subscribers about people's uh, browsing habits, what they do end up watching. And so they can use that data, that first party data they have about the the, um, content to to kind of uh, plan its future calendar of content better and understand what people want to watch. If they don't tap into that, that's going to be, uh, you know, a miss for them. And, and really using the data they have to better inform their content strategy is going to be key to back, you know, keeping the competition at bay.
4: Tom, sort of part of that and what you mentioned a couple of minutes ago is that Netflix is not only uh, competing for versus other streaming platform, it's competing for other people's leisure time as well. And one, and one thing we have seen from Netflix is they've launched that gaming division, but they talked about it as a way to sort of get insight into audience, something you were just mentioning there um, and understanding characters, understanding what people are liking. But does the gaming business uh, for you become a key part of the Netflix story going forward when it comes to growth? Can it actually become a significant revenue driver for the company?
0: Well, I think we've seen uh, in terms of Netflix's diversification into international content to tap into those, you know, uh, different markets with a lot of its growth coming from Europe this time around, the diversification in content is definitely, you know, really important to their continued growth. So I'm sure that by investing in the gaming side of things, there's an avenue there uh, for, for that growth. And it's got to be that content uh, diversification strategy in the long run that's going to pay dividend for them. Um, I think it's fair to say that the one area that um, Netflix has not yet really gone wholesale in is competing in sports, potentially. Um, we've seen Amazon, for example, dip into live sports streaming and um with lots of different types of sports. I'm not sure how successful that's been. They don't report out necessarily on those individual program streamings uh, for live sports in all the detail you'd like, but that could be an area to watch for Netflix in the future as well.
1: Tom can you talk about sentiment here because there are a lot of complaints that this stock has just been caught up as a a stay at home stock and that's not warranted but if you look at the the detail that we had yesterday perhaps it is as we've had uh, some of these pandemic trends in the company itself admitting it can't really work out what these bumpy numbers are going to look like down the track. If we get to the, the price targets, you can see the market is now well out of the money. Some of the targets are around 725 the stock trading close to the $500 mark. What is it going to take to get that sentiment around? How quickly could the sentiment move on a stock like Netflix based on what it's done in the past?
0: Well, I think what we're seeing here clearly is the market reacting to uncertainty, right? And uh, this pandemic has given us all, uh, you know, a lot of different uh, situations that we wouldn't have expected ourselves to be in like a lockdown. And so now I think just like Netflix have commented, the future still remains a little bit uncertain. That means we're going to see big swings in sentiment with these things. Uh, it's go- it, it is, I think, continuing in that kind of vein. Um, and it's going to be interesting to see at what point that starts to stabilize in the future. I would guess that by the end of next year, you know, there'll be uh, there'll be a wholly different view on the world compared to even, uh, you know, the end of uh, 2021. So I I think it's one to watch. It's going to be tricky to kind of predict that.
1: Tom Bianchi, thank you very much for joining us, Vice President of Acquia. And to take you to the market action, you can see uh, this is how we're looking across the board in the red, and in particular, the numbers we've witnessed over the course of this trading week, just how destructive some of these rate concerns have been for markets, particularly the NASDAQ. And we saw that again in session, a late day sell off down 1.3%, now 12.7% off its all time highs, so firmly wedged in correction territory. I think the big question for a lot of investors is whether we're seeing a breakdown in the other major indices now particularly on the Dow as we also pull back from the 52-week highs, uh, roughly about uh, 6% off uh, some of the the highs that we've had. So the market's closely watching these numbers. And I think as we head to that Federal Reserve meeting next week, all eyes on what the Fed decides to do, the language that is used around uh, the pace and timing of rate hikes. is a real fear out the markets that we're going to move to some sort of aggressive language from the Fed. And Janet Yellen not helping that yesterday, effectively leaning into some of the messaging and saying, that uh, between the Fed and uh, Treasury, uh, the Biden administration, they will do what they can to bring inflation under control. So that's just spooking a lot of investors uh, after what's already been a very nervous trading pattern. Let's get to those big tech names, and you can see how they fared over the course of the trade. Another 1% off the likes of Apple, Microsoft trading down again. I think uh, worth seeing some of those big name stocks and and how they're trading, given they've been such big drivers for the market over the last year or so. Netflix was down about one and a half percent before earnings, but today. Stand back, brace yourself because uh, those calls for 20% to be stripped off the stock initially, that is going to be uh, something that could be eye watering for the NASDAQ again and some of the other big stocks uh, in the TV universe. And watching the likes of Disney, of course. Amazon stock trades down 2.9%, and Tesla just a, a t- slight tilt into the positive territory there. Treasuries, we cooled off a little bit uh, on the Treasury trade, 1.77 where we're perched. Don't forget, we got up to what the 1.9 odd percent mark early in the week. On wednesday so uh, the market just drifting off a little bit but again we are looking at very sizable moves in what is a safe haven here i mean 13 odd basis points over a short period of time for the safest of safe trades on the market that's still telling you about the volatility out there uh right across the curve we pull back slightly asian markets this is how the friday trade looks it's cautious as you'd expect we're down nine tenths on the japanese stock market hong kong china also in retreat. The big focus has been monetary policy out of China this week, and some are saying that was a bit of a sentiment boost for the region, and we're anticipating more now from the PBOC to, to ease liquidity conditions, but it's still not putting green back on those boards in Asia today, and you can see Australia are trading in lockstep really more with the US markets down 2.2 plus percent. Investors are still concerned about the prospects of tightening monetary policy and slowing growth and are trying to gauge how far... The sell-off will go, but long-time investor Carl Icahn says things are fine for now.
2: I don't believe uh, that there's necessarily massive trouble coming soon because I don't think anybody can really know when it's coming. But with all the factors, it, it, you don't have to really be a genius to understand that if you keep pushing money into the economy the way we've been doing with, uh, with, with money velocity today and, and the balance sheet, that you're going to have inflation.
1: And you may notice that jeff's not around the set this morning that's because he does have an exclusive panel discussion on the global economic outlook later on today as part of the davos agenda jeff will be speaking to the ecb president christine lagarde the bank of japan governor Haruhiko Kuroda, along with the imf managing director kristalina gorgieva the brazilian economy minister and indonesian finance minister A very broad-based conversation as we talk about the global economy. You can catch it right here on CNBC and we'll be streaming live on YouTube, Facebook and Twitter. We've had another plunge in cryptocurrencies, Bitcoin back below the $40,000 mark for the second time this month. And you can see on the boards this morning, a perched around the 38800 mark. Also a uh, fairly sizable drop in Ethereum down double digit 10%. Uh, Litecoin also reversing a similar tune. Let's get back to Arjun for more on these moves. Arjun, every time we see a tech sell off, it seems to take the crypto world with it.
4: Yeah, you're absolutely right, Karen. That's one of the most interesting things we've seen of late is this correlation really between sort of tech stocks and what's happening in the crypto market over the last 24 hours. We've had $140 billion of value wiped off crypto markets. And, and it's really driven by the, the sell-off in risk assets, as you mentioned there, uh, the Nasdaq sell-off, uh, and especially in this rising rate environment as well. Now, one of the interesting things is Bitcoin proponents often say, well, Bitcoin is a safe haven. It's a hedge against inflation. Well, We've seen surging inflation and we've seen risk as- assets selling off. However, Bitcoin has just continued to drop with it. So that really isn't standing up at this point, that theory amongst the Bitcoin proponents. Now, of course, the other point here in the background is we've seen a lot of broader regulatory moves against cryptocurrencies over the past years. You had the mining crackdown in China and there are a number of jurisdictions around the world still figuring out what to do with uh, regulation. And that is bringing a bit of uncertainty about the market at the crypto conference I was at very recently in in San Moritz. One of the questions I was asking people there is is the the lack of clarity around regulation holding back the market? And broadly, the answer was yes. So that's a a sort of overhang in the background as well. Now, one thing I will say is you've got Bitcoin somewhere about 40% off its all time high that was hit last year. We have seen these kind of corrections before in broader uh, bull markets for Bitcoin and other cryptocurrencies as well. So these drops are not unusual. We know it's extremely volatile as well. But The question is, will this turn into a crypto winter like we have seen in the past? Or is it just a correction in what is ultimately a larger move higher at this point? I think what we can say uh, for now is that it's quite clear that Bitcoin and other cryptos will continue to move in tandem uh, with stocks. And I think that's something that we're going to see going forward. So that might give you some indication really of where crypto might go from here, Karen.
1: and you just can't slip into the conversation. I was in St. Moritz at a crypto conference, given most people have not even left their own shores recently. I hope Conference agenda is kind to you for the rest of the year. Is there anything planned?
4: Uh, well, we've got of course uh, a few going. I think you're off to Mobile World Congress in Barcelona. That will be a fantastic one, and no <laughs> doubt. Uh, we'll hear a lot of these crypto uh, terms there, Web3, Metaverse, all of these other things that have been buzzwords over the past year. So I'm excited about that. For now, I'm sticking here in the UK. I'm glad to be back back in London, back in the studio as well, uh, having, getting the chance to chat to you guys. Uh,
1: it's a good point you raised. Maybe Metaverse can knock crypto off the agenda slightly, as it seems to be that the buzzword this year. But Arjun, thank you very much for that. And for more on the moves we're seeing in cryptocurrency, you can head over to CNBC.com. Russia's central bank has proposed a blanket ban on the use and creation of all cryptocurrencies, citing the dangers posed to the country's financial system and environment. Under the draft proposals, the country would ban all cryptocurrency issuance and operations and stop banks from investing in cryptocurrencies. Russia is one of the world's biggest hubs for crypto mining. Uh, similar measures, it would seem, to what you've seen out of China then. Well, coming up on the show, key talks in Geneva between the US and Russia's top diplomats, with Moscow expecting concessions on NATO and Washington, warning of severe consequences in case of military escalation. And for more on the overnight plunge in Netflix shares, check out the Squawk Box podcast. U.S. President Joe Biden said Russia would pay a heavy price for any incursion into Ukraine, adding that any movement of Russian troops across the border would be met with a quote severe and coordinated economic response. Biden's statement comes after he faced criticism for earlier comments, suggesting a smaller scale intervention may be dealt with differently. And Ukraine's President Zelensky tweeted a reminder to the U.S. leader that there, is, uh, there are no minor incursions and small nations. The American Secretary of State Antony Blinken is set to meet with his Russian counterpart Sergei Lavrov in Geneva today for key talks on the standoff with Ukraine. The meeting will cap three days of talks in Europe for Blinken aimed at deterring any military escalation. Russia's ambassador to the EU told CNBC the Kremlin hopes Blinken responds to its demands for security guarantees and a limit to NATO expansion. Sylvia joins us with more from that exclusive interview. Sylvia, if I can just reverse to the the comments early on, it feels as though this week there's been real detail from the US side about incursions, invasions, about the language and what sort of response would be provoked from NATO and its allies.
5: And that's one of the reasons why today's meeting between Blinken and his Russian counterpart is so important. And we, you mentioned there the Russian ambassador to the EU told me yesterday that he is hoping that Blinken will not arrive at this meeting empty handed. Russia is seeking that written statement to its demands. So let's see whether or not that will take place. But indeed, the tensions are pretty high. Nobody is denying that. And one of the themes that we have been assessing within this context throughout the week is the EU's position. We've heard Germany saying and asking Russia to return to the negotiating table under the Normandy format. So that would bring together Germany, France, Russia and Ukraine. Earlier this week, when I spoke with Ukrainian ambassador to the EU, he said that Ukraine is, is keen to, to do that, to follow that format, but Russia is not delivering on previous commitments. And so I asked about that to the Russian ambassador to the EU to hear the other side of the story. And he said that it's actually Ukraine that is not following previous commitments. Let's take a look.
3: We are prepared to return to Normandy format, to, to return to any format. But when people uh, commit themselves to something and then fail to deliver, it's pointless to continue talking to them.
5: Now, President Biden said last night that he expects, actually, Russia to invade Ukraine.
3: Is he wrong? (laughs) Well, uh, I don't see why... He uh, may have such, uh, such thoughts uh, because uh, there is no evidence pointing to that.
5: So that's not your aim?
3: No, certainly not.
5: And I would like to understand as well um, the picture at the moment, because there has been some sort of conflict between Russia and Ukraine for seven years now. But the situation seems to be getting worse recently. Why is that?
3: Well, because uh, you know, uh, Russia has been uh, very patient. You know, first negotiating uh, the Minsk agreements with the then president, uh, and uh, with the participation of uh, uh, of uh, the European Union, of uh, Germany, France. Uh, which later became the, the, the Normandy format uh, those uh, agreements they were uh, approved by the UN Security Council unanimously uh, so they form part of the uh, of international law today uh, and everybody concedes that they are the only uh, plausible Uh, basis for a solution of the Ukrainian problem, of the Ukrainian crisis. Uh, We expect uh, those Western countries that have, uh, I would say, substantial leverage on on Kiev, European countries and the United States, of course, uh, to uh, produce necessary Uh, pressure on kiev to deliver on its own commitments also we uh, believe that it is very unhelpful to continue pumping weapons into ukraine which some countries are doing
0: thank you for listening to squawk box europe express for more market moving news you can head to cnbc.com